Good morning, gang. It's February 8th, 2019. Good morning, and I should also say good afternoon wherever you are, because although I don't say this every week, I got to tell you, we've been expanding cities. We'd like to welcome Seattle to our Channel Q family at 103.3 FM. Welcome, Seattle. You know, we got Palm Springs that added recently, and Hartford, and coming soon, we got all sorts of uh, brand new cities we'll be adding to the gang. So uh, it's just so exciting to me watch Channel Q expand into major metropolitan areas all over the USA. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran, mayor of the city of West Hollywood, and uh, LGBT civil rights attorney for, geez, 30 years. I've been out for 40 years. Yeah, long time, long time. It's been great to be both an eyewitness and a participant in the history of the national LGBT movement. So let me tell you about the show we got going on today. It is Black History Month, and it's also a Black HIV Awareness Day. And uh, we have the executive director of the Black AIDS Institute, Renaya Copeland, coming in. She takes the place of my very dear friend, Phil Wilson. Phil and I met during the heydays of ACT UP LA when Phil and his late partner, Chris Brownlee, were street activists, and, and I had one foot in the streets and one foot in the courts. I got to be a legal counsel for ACT UP and various uh, protesters and demonstrators during the 80s when it was really, really awful out there, really awful. So we'll have to have, I'm going to have to call Phil and say, Phil, you got to come do my show, because he's got such a great eye on the history of how this all happened. He was the longtime executive director of the Black AIDS Institute. He built it up from scratch, and he uh, he's a grandfather now. Can't believe it. Oh, i got friends who are grandfathers. Uh, it just freaks me out a little. Uh, and, and his uh, successor, Renaya Copeland, she will be with us, and uh, I haven't met her yet. I've read about her, read some of the things she's written. I'm really looking forward forward to meeting her and and uh, introducing her to all of you who are listening. And um, then after Renaya, our second segment, uh, this is also Gun Violence uh, Survivors Week. And obviously with the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, we've had to come to the reality that as LGBTQ people, we, well, we know this. We've been subjected to violence since the minute we came out, right? Violence on the playgrounds and Violence within our families sometimes or within our churches or synagogues or mosques. I mean, we, we know what it's like to be the target of violence. But uh, these days, because of the strength of the NRA, it seems like more and more crazy people have access to guns and weapons. And uh, they're irrational uh, about it. I, I don't know if I've shared this on the, the radio show. You know, I, I did some controversial things in West Hollywood. I, I gave Stormy Daniels the key to the city. And I brought the Trump baby balloon to the city. And um, the guy who was sending all the pipe bombs through the U.S. mail in Florida had a list of people he was monitoring, and yours truly, John Duran, made the pipe bombers list. I got a call from the FBI telling me that I was on the pipe bombers list. That was a really frightening call to get. You know, hi, FBI. I'm like, I, I didn't do it, whatever it is. No, they wanted to warn me that I had made the list of the person they had taken into custody who was sending pipe bombs all over the country. So, you know, these guys who are crazy, we just need to be wary of it. And it's Gun Violence Survivors Week. So who do I have coming on? I've got Amy Phillips, uh, who is here in Los Angeles. Moms Demand Action 
to talk about her organization and what she's doing uh, to uh, f- fight against uh, gun violence and as, as moms who organize all around this uh, Southern California and perhaps even the nation. We'll hear from Amy. And also Suzanne Verge. She is the uh, Brady LA chapter president uh, to prevent gun fi- violence. The Brady campaign, of course, named after uh, James. Uh, J- is it James? Oh, God, this is a sure sign I'm aging. I think it's James Brady who, who was shot uh, when Ronald Reagan was. There was an attempted assassination against Ronald Reagan. Uh, Mr. Brady also got shot. And so the Brady campaign uh, to prevent gun violence has been around for a long time. And we've got the the president of the local chapter here, Suzanne Verge, coming on to talk about what she's doing. And, uh, you know, I told both of them, I said, look, we're an LGBTQ station, but uh, we hope you'll join us. And they were like, of course, we, we advocate for LGBTQ people, too. So looking forward to this great lineup of extraordinary women coming up uh, throughout this day. And it should be a, a really uh, great show here on Sidebar with John Duran. I, you know, I, while we sit here and we, we wait for our turn, you know, as Michaela and Jay are finishing up their show, and and uh, and Jason and I are waiting to come in. Jason, my my gorgeous uh, Lebanese producer over there. Uh, hey, Jace. <laughs> Good morning. What's going on? Good morning. <laughs> there he is. There he is. He's, <laughs> he's controlling all the buttons. I got to see him in action last week when one of my guests absolutely uh, accidentally dropped the f bomb twice. <laughs> that was quite a show. <laughs> <laughs> I had to quickly react to that one. You did. You were like lightning hitting that red uh, pause button over there. <laughs> but uh, we're watching the TV at the same time that we're starting our show. And it looks like the acting attorney general is getting grilled in the House Judiciary Committee as we speak. And I'm hoping, and I bet, Orange Hair is watching. And now maybe it's starting to sink in like, uh-oh, they've got some power. Uh, this guy Whitaker trying to to shut off Chair Nadler by telling him his five minutes were up. Boy, buddy, you have no idea what you're up against. He's the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. He determines the rules. He determines the times. He'll tell you when his time is up. You are simply there as a witness today voluntarily. And as I've told you, you'll be back under subpoena. And and now we're getting to see what government oversight looks like. Uh, This being the first of the Trump administrations, the acting attorney general, uh, Matthew Whitaker, coming before the House Judiciary Committee, but not the last. It looks like there's a whole lot coming up. So this is solid evidence that elections count, that you must vote, that when we all vote, we can change the course of history and we can make our lives better. And now we are seeing live before our very eyes direct evidence that Donald Trump and his pack of thugs are being placed into check and into legal jeopardy. And it's it's just going to be... So I don't want to say thrilling because thrilling isn't the right word. I'm not thrilled that we're going through this awful process, but I am. Maybe it's relieved to see the proper oversight of checks and balances as the founders uh, put into our U.S. Constitution. The legislative branch being an equal, co-equal branch of government to the president and having oversight over everything they do. And uh, while the Republicans were in power, absolutely no oversight, zero oversight, letting everything pass without comment. 
And now we've got Jerry Nadler chairing House Judiciary and Maxine Waters uh, chairing House Banking and Finance. And uh, Adam Schiff, my member of Congress, uh, chairing House Intelligence. It it looks like we're actually going to see uh, putting all the acts of the president and his administration under a microscope microscope so that they can no longer uh, do the things they were doing during their first two years. So it's a historic day in many ways. Uh, next week will be Valentine's. I'm still trying to figure out how to bring a program together that balances, you know, love stories for couples with, you know, b- bitter and broken hearts. Well, i got to figure out that tough balance. Jason, are you single? Uh, this is probably very inappropriate to ask my producer, but yes. Oh, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. of course I'm single. <laughs> He's single and happy. You hear that, ladies? He's single and happy. You have to focus on your work and, you know, eventually it will happen, you know? I don't believe in forcing it. I believe in just it happening naturally. Okay. All right. right. Spoken like a millennial. How old are you? I'm uh, 26. Yeah. Okay. Wait till you hit 40. You'll have a different point of view. (laughs) Different point of view at 40. (laughs) Anyway. And as you all know, as I tell you every week, I'm somewhere between 50 and death. That's all I'll do to describe my age. So that's our lineup for the day. We're going to have a a really good group and uh, looking forward to uh, celebrating Black History Month with Renaya and, uh, of course, bringing awareness to gun violence with Amy and Suzanne later this morning and uh, next week you know if you're tuning in for the Valentine's Day show I, I just got to figure this out you know I've been in love I've been out of love uh, I've fallen in love I've broken up in love and uh, you know I love Valentine's Day sometimes and I just despise it other times and so I've got a lot of mixed feelings and thoughts about the Valentine's Day holiday and obviously it's going to spill over into the content of my show so um, we will just figure out how to bring the proper balance of uh, what Valentine's Valentine's Day means to LGBTQ people. So I want to thank you for tuning in this morning. We're going to have a great day and stay tuned because next up will be Renaya Copeland from the Black AIDS Institute. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I love that song. Lean, I'm Bill, Bill Withers, if I'm not mistaken. I'm old enough that I should know, but too old that I forget everything all the time. You're so. correct on that one. Oh, good. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I win. All right. Uh, folks, we got in station with us now. Rania. I did yeah, it right. Yeah. I was saying Renaya. I made her Latina. I can't help it. I'm Mexican-American. I pronounce the vowels in a Spanish way. I like it. It sounds good. <laughs> Rania Copeland, uh, Executive Director of the Black AIDS Institute. Yes. Yeah. And it's the first time we're meeting. So I, I've read about you, but I, I'm guessing people who are listening in would like to know who you are and where you came from. Yeah. So uh, my name, like you said, is Rania Copeland. Um, and I lead the Black AIDS Institute. We're a national HIV and AIDS think tank focused exclusively on black people. We were founded in May of 1999, so coming up on 30 years now. Uh, And our mission is to end the AIDS epidemic by engaging black institutions and individuals to confront HIV and AIDS. We do training and 
capacity building. We do mobilization and advocacy, information dissemination. Uh, we provide direct HIV services here in Los Angeles, so clinical care. And everything we do is from a uniquely and unapologetically black point of view. Mm-hmm. Our mission speaks to our motto, which is our people, our problem, our solution. Uh, I am new into this role. And so mm-hmm. uh, I have been with the Institute for almost 11 years. Um, and we have been led by our founder, uh, who uh, is a well-known HIV activist, Phil Wilson. Yeah, and a dear friend of mine. Love him. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. He sends uh, good wishes Thank and you. hellos to you. Uh, and so I've been in this role since January 1. Um, and so it's a really exciting time. There's Are you a, a native Angelino? I am. Okay. I am. So I'm from Pasadena. Okay. Uh, and I currently live in Windsor Hill, so live in South mm-hmm. Los Angeles. I've been in California my whole life. Uh, I went to the University of California, Berkeley, for undergraduate school. Nice. And so I studied public health and African-American studies there. But being a native Southern California, even North Northern California was too cold for me. <laughs> so I had to come back after undergraduate school. And then um, I did my master's here in Los Angeles at Charles Drew University. And uh, I studied, uh, I got a master's in urban public health. Um, so I have uh, that degree as well. So I'm from Southern California and really kind of happy to do this work. A few years ago, we started to do direct services in Los Angeles. And before that, we've really been a national organization. And people were always like, why are you guys this HIV think tank based in Los Angeles? Like when all of these kind of like other policy organizations will be based in D.C. And I would always say that because our um, CEO liked good weather, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which I do too. Um, And so it's really exciting now, though, we do direct services in Los Angeles. So that's a really kind of cool thing. And to be able to provide HIV testing and linkage to care um, in the places that I grew up and, you know, where I remember, you know, my uh, first kisses and, you know, high school and middle school, kind of the backdrop of my life um, is really exciting. Mm, That's awesome. Now, I remember back in the early days of the epidemic that the black churches were not helpful. In fact, they were an obstacle. Is is that changing? Yeah, yeah. We have some amazing churches who do um, a huge amount of HIV work. So yesterday was National Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. So February 7th every year is NBAD, um, National Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. And there's churches all across the country who've done um, work around HIV, hosting events, um, having uh, many churches have HIV ministry, Um, And so I think that we've seen um, many more faith-based institutions kind of picking up this charge around HIV and AIDS, um, which has been critically important. There's still a lot of work to be done, right? Right. Um, People still um, inaccurately link um, HIV uh, to all of these other kind of stigmatizing things, creating stigma around HIV. And so whether it's homophobia, transphobia, um, sex shaming, all of these things that really kind of influence reasons why we see these high rates of HIV particularly in black communities and these huge institutions like churches, you know, black churches hadn't really picked up the mantle. So they're doing a better job than Mm -hmm. they had been, but there's still a long way to go. What about women, black women with HIV? So, um, there uh, is we've seen some progress right so over the past few years um, we saw um, some significant decreases in um, HIV acquisition among black women mm. and it's really been a huge uh, uh, success and one of the biggest kind of markers of success that we've Why? seen. Why? PrEP? Um, PrEP? Or? Not PrEP as okay. much but you know that uh, t- 
testing works, right? So the more people that know their status um, is uh, uh, critically important. There's been some significant um, changes with how we do HIV work. HIV work. And so um, this um, idea of opt-out, so anybody who, for example, goes into most emergency rooms, particularly like in California and some other states, they um, test everybody for HIV. So more people are getting screened for HIV. I think um, now it's um, one in six people don't know their HIV status, which is you know much better than uh, what we had been doing a few years ago. And so more black women know their status. Um, and then um, black women are being um, retained in care at better rates. So we know that people who are living with HIV are able to live long and healthy lives um, as long as they get in care mm. and they stay in care and then um, they achieve viral suppression. And so making sure that black women have those types of resources have been really important. But there's still some pretty huge kind of disparities and so we still see um, perinatal transmission happening mm. and so perinatal transmission Wow, is I thought when, that was done with. No, Unfortunately not, particularly mm. in some of the southern states mm. that we see, particularly amongst black women and black mothers um, uh, still um, transmitting HIV to their babies, which you know is a huge failure failure on the public health system's part um, that we have these women who are pregnant who are you know potentially receiving regular care um, and still transmitting HIV um, mm. to newborns and so um, there uh, is definitely progress but there you know is uh, uh, room to grow and so you know that's black cis women and then when you talk about black trans women um, that we know um, I think there's estimates that um, black trans women it's uh, uh, I think almost like around 60 percent um, are expected to be uh, to acquire HIV within their lifetime. So really huge rates. Oh we don't even actually know the numbers because um, this kind of um, silencing of trans folks and not collecting data on uh, the experiences they're having and how um, HIV is being acquired within that population. Um, and so uh, we also know that HIV is uh, linked very closely to intimate partner violence, which you can imagine, right? So when you aren't able to c control and negotiate safety for your body, it's really hard to also um, negotiate uh, 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 engaging in um, condom use or other uh, uh, practices to have uh to control kind of your bodily health. And so um, we have made progress when it comes to uh, black women, but there's still a huge way to go. You know, I had uh, uh, some black trans women on the show, I guess it was a few weeks ago, and, and they, they were describing the really complex overlay of homelessness, mm -hmm. uh, sex work, mm -hmm. and HIV, Absolutely. and then you throw in a little crystal meth, and it's Absolutely. a mess. Absolutely. I mean, and that is why we have, I mean, HIV is not just HIV, right? It's not just this virus um, that um, shows up in communities. It's really layered with all of these kind of intersections and these experiences that we have, right? And so, um, you know, homelessness is a huge issue. Um, not being able to earn a living wage, um, being forced into sex work, um, if that's not what you want to do, um, being forced into sex work in a way where you can't even engage in kind of healthy conversation and acts. Um, substance use um, is all a, a, a huge part of it. And so, and really kind of influenced and fueled by the stigma that folks um, experience. Wow. You know, in the next segment, we'll have to talk about how you unpack that because yeah. that's like every social <laughs> ill put together with it a is. big red ribbon around it. It is. Like, fix that. It is. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, we are talking to Rania Copeland from the Black AIDS Institute. Did you say it right that time? You did. Oh, okay. Rania Good. Copeland. It's, it's sinking in. Good. All right. And we'll be back with you after the commercial break. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another one of my favorite songs, Stand By Me. <laughs> what an appropriate song for Black HIV Awareness Day. Yes. Stand By Me. <laughs> it was Black HIV Awareness Day yesterday. Yes. What did you guys do? I had a long day. It was wonderful, though. It was my first um, National Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day um, as the president and CEO of the Black AIDS Institute. And so I started my day. I woke up, uh, I think, at 3 a.m. and went up to Sacramento um, and was able to be on the floor um, as a resolution resolution passed, um, entered into entered by um, Assemblymember Mike Gibson mm. um, and uh, uh, Senator um, Holly Mitchell, mm. uh, uh, along with um, Senator Weiner as well. And mm-hmm. um, they had many San Francisco, support- right? Yes, yeah, yep. many supporters um, to have a resolution to honor National Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day here in the state of California. And so I was honored to be up there to um, see the resolution pass and to be on the floor when that happened. Um, so that was really amazing. I then flew back down to Los Angeles uh, and we... Um, had an event at Hot and Cool Cafe in Lamert Park, uh, a panel discussion ta- uh, envisioning black futures um, with, I think we had four um, different panelists um, to speak about what a black future free of HIV looked like. Mm-hmm. And so that was really exciting. Um, we also um, released um uh, a series of op-eds. Um, uh, President Trump, uh, in his State of the Union address on Tuesday, um, uh, introduced a plan to end HIV and AIDS in the U.S. I by 2030. Those, I heard those words. I didn't hear much of a plan. <laughs> no, they, they rolled it out um, on HHS, uh, on the Health and Human Services website. Um, and, you know, there's still lots of questions and scratching of heads. Um, but, you know, I was kind of like, you know, for you to do this, two days before National Black HIV and AIDS <laughs> Awareness Day, you know, when you have this president who's um, been um, so homophobic, so racist, racist. so transphobic, and um, put policies in place. Keep going. You know, the, the list goes on. And yeah. so to be able to say, you know, or to commit to trying to end HIV by 2030 um, was interesting. But uh, I think it was an exciting and bad to yeah. talk about what we as community can do um, and, and think about the resilience that we have right. and what we really can do to end HIV in our community. You know, when he said it, it's and to me. I don't. Know, I hate to say this about the president. I just—he's a simpleton. To me, I just think he's a simpleton. Every time he talks, my eyes roll. It's like build the wall. That'll stop him coming in. You know, cure AIDS. That will be easy. It's yeah. like you have no idea what you're talking about. No, <laughs> no, no. I do think there were some um, influential and. Um, smart organizations that have been working with the administration to try and ensure that the HIV programming and funding would be um, saved under this administration. And I think that folks in his administration actually heard the idea, this concept that we can end HIV and kind of ran with it. Um, you know, the devil will be in the details. Um, yeah. And I think it's going to be really important for us as community to make sure that we are advocating, that we're at the table and we're having conversations and making sure that the rights of our communities, you know, are uh, are there the reason one of the reasons we have National Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day is to acknowledge you know these huge disparities we have when it comes to HIV black people make up 13% of the US population but almost 50% of people who are living with HIV wow. black gay men um, it's expected that um, one out of two black gay men will acquire HIV within their lifetime mm. that's absurd yeah. you know um, and so to think that 
you know, we can respond to HIV without responding to all of these other issues that really fuel HIV um, is kind of is ludicrous. We know that doesn't work because we can see that from what we have now. We have pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is one of the tools that's supposed to help us to end HIV. Um, but we haven't seen a huge uptake in black communities mm. because you can't talk about PrEP um, and these biomedical interventions without talking about medical mistrust mm. in black communities. You can't talk about you know uh, PrEP and treatment as prevention without talking about access to health care when you have all these states, particularly in the South, that didn't expand Medicaid. Mm. Alabama, you know, Mississippi, every yeah. time. Every <laughs> you know? time. And so when we talk about ending HIV and that we do have these tools that theoretically could get us there, right? So if everybody who um, was a good candidate for PrEP got on PrEP, we would have no more new HIV infections, right? Awesome. If people who are living with HIV had access to quality care, um, they would be able to live long, healthy lives because we know that when you achieve viral suppression, um, that you're more likely to die of old age than HIV. And then you also, we know that you equals you, that undetectable equals untransmittable. And so for people who are living with HIV, that they aren't going to transmit HIV to anybody else when they're undetectable. So that stops uh, a, a, a transmission right there as well, right? So theoretically, we should be able to end HIV. Yeah, eradicate it. Right? right? But we haven't because we aren't responding to all of these other issues. And so when, you know, President uh, Trump, um, I don't know. Uh, I know. I, I, when I, the administration, I, I can I say, say it that? I say Donald Trump. I just say <laughs> Donald Trump because he's just going to be Donald Trump as far as I'm concerned. When the administration you know, role, uh, uh, announced this in the State of the Union, this idea of ending HIV. Um, you know, we uh, all were, you know, really surprised. Um, uh, I think there is a cautious kind of, are you serious? You know, I think some people use the word <laughs> yeah. excitement. Yeah, did you um, run this by Vice President Pence? Because he's no help, right? Right. right? <laughs> um, but uh, there are some great folks that are out of um, CDC, for example, who um, are leading this initiative, um, who we know know the science, know the data. And so uh, we'll see what the plan looks like. Um, but, you know, on National Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day, um, I think it's really important that we were having this conversation around what we as black people, how do we kind of envision this future? What what are we going to do together? Because it's going to be really important that um, us as a black community all together um, are responding to HIV because it's so divisive in our community yeah. um, and it's such a layered um, issue. Yeah. You know, I, back in the 80s when I became an AIDS activist, getting out of law school and I was an activist in the streets and then passing the bar and then getting to represent ACT UP in court. I was having a great time. right? This is a big, but HIV and AIDS, you couldn't have a discussion about it without getting into race and class and misogyny and homophobia. Mm -hmm. Like all of those issues came in. And one of the issues, because I'm Latino, Mexican-American, and machismo is yes. a big thing, meaning you can you can have a guy you tinker with on the side while you have a wife that you're married mm -hmm. to. You know, it's kind of like the down low, I suppose, mm -hmm. the African-American community. Is that changing? Uh, you think more black men or... I mean, I think it's this kind of concept of, uh, uh, I think some folks have coined the term ma uh, toxic masculinity, right? Mm -hmm. And this idea that <clears throat> you have to be, you know, this is what a man looks like. And this, you know, you can have multiple different partners, but, right. you know, you aren't telling those partners that you have multiple partners. Right, right. Or that, you know, if you're a man, that it's okay to hit your partner because you're the man. Um, and I think that, you know, we're doing better because we're having more conversations about it. But I think that it's a huge issue, right? And that this 
idea of you know machismo or um, mm-hmm. toxic mas- masculinity really influences so many different relationships. It's not just a man and a woman's relationship. It's men and men and how they interact and how we support each other and how you know folks who are same gender loving show up in the world and this idea that oh if you're gay you can you have to look like this um, or you have to act like this type of person um, because you are the man um, and you know I think that that's you know a huge part of the issue that we have and so um, I think there's more conversations about it but I think we have a long long way to too. go but I still think Black Panther is going to win best film I do I, I do. hope so <laughs> it was uh, awesome are we have to boycott if they don't it was awesome <laughs> alright we need to take a commercial break we're talking to Rania Copeland from the Black AIDS Institute thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hi, gang. We're still here with Rania Copeland from the Black AIDS Institute. We're having just a great discussion, both on the air and off the air. (laughs) At the same time, we're having a a great discussion. Um, When we last left off, we were talking about uh, the issue of misogyny and homophobia and its impact on HIV. But we can't do this without a discussion around race. I think Mm -hmm. you've already hit on it. You already Mm -hmm. hit on it, the Mm -hmm. disproportionate impact Mm -hmm. on the black community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it shows up in many different ways um, and it um, uh, changes power dynamics. It um, influences um, how we're able to access care. Um, uh, you know, and there's so many different kind of levels to it, right? So whether it's low socioeconomic status and being forced into situations you don't want to be in, but because you need the money, you do them anyway. Um, whether it's mass incarceration, right? So we know that black people are incarcerated at higher rates than other folks. I think we're um, black people are incarcerated five times at five times the rate as white people. Um, and we also know that um, uh, HIV is uh, connected to incarceration as well. Um, and that we have higher rates of incarceration. People who have people who are living with HIV have higher rates of incarceration than the general population. So I think these all these things all kind of play, show up and play out um, within um, our communities. Um, uh, you know, here in um, Los Angeles, there's been a lot of com- conversation within the Black community um, about the deaths of um, uh, two Jimmy Dean black- and uh, Jamel Moore. I hear yes. about it every week. Yes, yes, <laughs> we talk week. about you know, and yeah. and I think for some of the black gay men that we work with and that are on our staff, you know, they talk about this kind of intersection, right, of being gay, um, but what that means when you're black, right? Mm. What that means when um, you don't have living wages, mm. what that means um, when you then are interacting with other folks who um, um, hypersexualize black bodies. And so, um, you know, it shows up in so many different ways. Um, and for us, the Black AIDS Institute, that's why we take an approach where we're talking about and calling out, you know, racism um, and transphobia and homophobia and medical mistrust and mass incarceration, because all of these things really influence HIV. And how do we develop programming within different institutions, whether it's health departments and community based organizations um, on the federal level and developing policies to ensure that black folks are able to live long, healthy lives so we're able to be free and do the things that we want to um, and be safe and healthy. Um, And it's a big task. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it takes community to do that.
that it takes um, uh, all black people, people who are living with a- black people who are living with HIV, um, black people who are affected by, by HIV. It takes family members to really be responsive to all these things and also other movements. Right. So HIV is a movement um, that, you know, you've been a part of for a very long time. I think now we're thinking about how do we make sure that within our HIV work that we're working with folks who are doing um, uh, uh, movement work around mass incarceration and trying to end mass incarceration. How do we work with um, organizations and states that want to expand Medicaid? Um, how do we um, work with organizations that are talking about intimate partner violence um, and um, how that kind of misogyny shows up in relationships for women and for men? Um, and so uh, uh, it's a big layered problem. And I think we need at Black AIDS Institute, we want to have a layered response that really includes partners um, because part of what has got us here are these, you know, this long decades, centuries long um, systems of oppression. And so it's not going to change overnight, but we need to have a big response to try and really entangle that. And, you know, it's not just about behavior. It's really about these systems and how do we respond to those systems. Can I, let me, can I get a little personal with you? Yes. What yes. brought you to this work? You've yes. been with BAI for nine years. Did yes. You, somebody, 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. Did somebody die that you loved or what, what, how did you get into HIV yes. AIDS work? Yes. Yeah. So um, my parents are um, probably more on the radical black side of parents. <laughs> <laughs> and Your so, mom's Angela Davis? Wow. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, my parents, um, they grew up pretty kind of middle, upper class black folks um, on the East Coast. But they left all of that and like their family kind of um, uh, cut them off when they converted to the Nation of Islam. Um, and part of what brought them to the Nation of Islam was this concept that black people have to support and take care of black people to kind of thrive. Um, and they converted when Malcolm X converted um, to Orthodox Islam, but ultimately kind of this idea of it we owe it to black people we owe it to our ancestors to kind of give back um, has been a value that really shapes me throughout my whole life um, I remember um, growing up and um, some of the way stigma showed up in healthcare right so I remember my grandfather for example refusing to um, get a prostate exam because he wouldn't let anybody do a prostate exam because he didn't want a finger in his butt mm. and I said that doesn't make any sense yeah, yeah. <laughs> and ultimately my grandfather pos- passed away from prostate cancer because he refused to get care. Um, and you know, some of these things kind of stayed with me when I went to undergraduate school. A lot of my work was about HIV and AIDS because within the public health field, um, HIV and activists like you and others really shaped public health, right? Definitely. And the response around how community can create change. Um, and for me, I saw the way that the work that happened in HIV could change the way we do healthcare work for black people overall. Right? Absolutely. We can't yeah. do create change unless we center and engage the people who are most impacted by the problem. Um, and so for me, that's always been a huge motivation um, and uh, a driving part of the work that I do. Being a, a black person, um, I have a, a handful of family members who ha- are living with HIV. I have um, aunts and a, a couple couple cousins who passed away um, that I found out only years later Mm. that it was because of HIV. And so for me, it was kind of a very natural fit. Um, I ended up doing reproductive health work right after school. So I worked at Planned Parenthood and then I tested my first person positive. And that kind of experience really drove me into HIV. Um, We're so fortunate to have you. We're winding down at the end of our segment with you. Tell us about your website, how people reach you. Yes. So um, our website is www.blackaids.org. 
Um, all of our social media handles, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook are Black Aids. So please go look at our Instagram stories and Facebook. You'll see some of our events from the past day from National Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. Um, for uh, March, we are going to be in Houston with the Houston Health Department. March is um, Women's History Month, and we are going to be having an event with them for National Women and Girls HIV and AIDS Awareness Day for Black women. On Wednesday, here in Los Angeles, we're going to have a speed dating event. So, you know, if you aren't here for Valentine's Day, please make sure you come through and, you know, find you a little boo. Uh, <laughs> and then we have clinic days here in Los Angeles on Monday and Tuesday as well. That's so please um, come and see us. Rania, it has been a pleasure to get to know you. I hope you'll come back for another show someday. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. Really great. You listen to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Uh, what a great segment we just finished with uh, Rania, uh, Co- I, I didn't make her Latina again, Rania Copeland from the Black AIDS Institute. And now it's also uh, Gun Violence Survivors Week, and we are joined in studio by two uh, incredible guests. We have Amy Phillips from Moms Demand Action and Suzanne Verge from the, the Brady LA chapter, uh, named after James Brady, who was with Ronald Reagan when Ronald Reagan, they attempted assassination uh, to prevent gun violence. So welcome. Thank you. I, welcome. Glad to have you, you both. John. Both here, really glad great. to be here. You know, I, I think for LGBTQ people, uh, the Pulse shooting really alerted us to gun violence. I mean, we've always kind of known violence from since we were kids on the playgrounds and with bullies, and always had to sort of feel somewhat defensive. But it became a little more real after the Pulse nightclub shooting. So it's a great place for us all to work together. So I'm Absolutely. so glad. So glad you're here. And uh, we. Moms Demand Action always encourages working with other groups um, because together our voices are louder. Mm-hmm. Moms Demand Action is that a national? Is it a local? Or is it what? It it is a national group. It's um, millions of people involved. Um, it started as a Facebook page right after Sandy Hook, mm. and um, and sadly, um, after each high-profile mass shooting. How many a year are there now? It's just ridiculous. Well, one of the reasons why that we have Gun Violence Survivor Week this week is because the United States gets more gun deaths by the beginning of February than other high-income countries get throughout the year. It's so crazy to me. I mean, why? Because we have too many guns, right? We just have too many guns. Easy access. Easy access because of the incredible influence of the NRA, I assume. Yeah. How long have you been doing this, Suzanne, this kind of work? I've been doing this for 18 years. Wow. I got involved with the Million Mom March back in, there was a shooting at the North Valley Jewish Community Center. I remember that. I and remember I got that. involved then. Wow. But it, it's been part of my life since I was 15. Wow. You know, people, we, Rania, the guest before you talked about why she got involved with HIV work, why it was important for her personally to get involved. I'm just curious if you care to share what brought each of you to do this kind of work. Something must have propelled you into joining this fight. For me, it was Sandy Hook. Um, as a parent, I just, as so many people, you, you just sat there in total disbelief. And then when 
Congress did nothing. Yeah, four-year-olds, right? It was four-year-olds. Uh, uh, right, I exactly. just can't put my brain around it. And I, and I just feel that this issue affects everybody. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't matter what side of the political fence you're on. Mm. My brother was 18 when he was murdered in Santa Monica, and um, I thought I was the only one. Mm. that was suffering through that. And I went to the Million Mom March in 2000, and there was like over half a million people. And I went by myself, and I walked around. Everybody was walking around with a sign. Oh. Everybody, I, And I just thought, and then it was supposed to be a one-day thing, and we all came home and just said, I mean, one of the people I met lived two blocks away from me. Oh, she's, my gosh. She's walking wow. around with a picture of her daughter. And all around the country we started chapters and merged with the Brady campaign after Jim Brady and so I've been doing it now 18, 19 years. Well now that we got women in power in the House of Representatives now that we've got Speaker Nancy Pelosi <laughs> Thank goodness. what's possible? What's possible? Knowing that Donald Trump is at the end of the veto line, right? I mean, Well, I mean we just had the hearings this week on H.R. 8 which is the background check um, bill and we have not had a hearing on a gun violence prevention uh, bill in eight years. Well, this is maddening to me. All these shootings and we haven't had a hearing. No. It, so what's key here is we got to remember Trump also did sign that bump stock, which nobody thought he would do. That's I would true. If I was a betting person, never. Yeah, me he too. did. He did. So I don't know what's possible. This bill, H.R. 8, which has to do with universal background check, could be voted on. The key is we need it to be voted on so that we can see where our politicians stand. If we remember this last election, people right here in L.A. County never would support our gun violence prevention agenda. They were in lockstep with the gun lobby. They are no longer in office. They're, all They're gone. out. They're so, all gone. So the key is to get that vote, see where they stand, and then get them out of office. Katie Hill's there now, right? Yeah, yeah. and she is a proud gun owner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's possible to be a gun owner it, and still support It is absolutely checks. possible, yeah. and we, we, we're not against the Second Amendment. We, we promote sensible gun legislation, and if you own a gun, and you keep it locked up, and you keep your bullets separate from your gun, and you use it in a lawful manner, you, you are entitled to have that gun, so you choose. It's those people that don't follow the laws. Right, right. And they shouldn't have access, shouldn't have access to, to guns. And 80% of gun owners support universal background checks. Correct. Right? So this right. should work, but it will depend on how the gun lobby manipulates things. Well, you know, I, I'm a vote counter because I've been doing politics for 30 years and I would think, okay, we have the votes in the House and in the Senate, I think you can get Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, I don't know, Susan uh, Collins from Maine, maybe we got to get to 60. maybe Gardner from Colorado. Gun violence is, any gun bill has to get to 60. It's not 50, so it's really going to be a matter of a lot of political, I mean, a lot of pressure from the constituents. Totally. It, it, yeah. it has to happen. You know, I was saying in the last uh, segment, um, the Florida pipe bomber, the guy who was saying the pipe bombs, I, I, I got a call from the FBI about nine months ago saying they just wanted to alert me that I was on his list of oh potential targets. Wow. Because I, I was flying the Trump balloon over West Hollywood Park, and, you know, I gave Stormy Daniels the key to the city as a poke in the eye, and I was intended uh, to kind of poke. Uh, and and I ended up on the list, and I'm thinking, this guy who had all this, you know, artillery 
Hillary in his van. It, that's what I worry about, you know? And gay pride, I guess it was about four years ago, they pulled that individual over in Santa Monica who had a trunk load full of AK-47s, and they asked, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to the gay pride parade in West oh, Hollywood. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Wasn't that the same night that Pulse had it happened? Was the, yes, it was the day. It was a copycat. It was a, a copycat crime that he was trying to commit. Oh, and my God. He got pulled over for a traffic violation. I always think, what would have happened had he not been pulled over? Exactly. Well, I have a little statistic on that. Um, in an average year, over 10,000 hate crimes involve a firearm, which is more than 28 a day. And what of the driving factors of hate crimes, 20% is anti-LGBTQ. Wow. And it's on the rise. And that, and unfortunately, hate crimes on the rise against Muslims, Jews, immigrants, uh, mm-hmm. LGBT, all of them. We need to stop for a quick commercial break, but uh, we'll be back after this commercial break. We are talking with Amy Phillips from Moms Demand Action and Suzanne Verge from the Brady LA chapter, president of the Brady chapter here in Los Angeles to prevent gun violence. Thank you for tuning in to Channel Q here with John Duran on Sidebar. After the end of a good fight, deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Survivors of gun violence. And uh, we are talking about gun violence today on Sidebar with John Duran. We're joined by Suzanne Verge, the Brady LA Chapter to Prevent Gun Violence President, and Amy Phillips from Moms Demand Action. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you. We, you know, all during the break, we just talked about all good stuff, and I'm like, ah, I should have talked about this on the show, and we're going to have to repeat, but that's okay. <laughs> repeat, that's okay. repeat is okay. What were we talking about during the break? We, we covered so much territory. Uh, well, I was, I was talking with my son, who is a young gay man, and he said, "Mom, I want people to know." After Pulse, we did not go out and buy. And I said, I know, I just read that gun ownership in the LGB community is at 19% versus the regular population at 35 And the reason I don't say the LGB cube, there's not enough research ah, on the transgender. On the T the Q, got it. But he, they specifically UCLA. Um, the Williams Institute, yeah. Yeah, the UCLA think tank uh, at the law school. Um, recently did a lot of research and the LGB community supports background checks at a higher rate than the rest of the population. That's really interesting. So there's interesting. a lot of good stuff. That's really interesting. I, yeah, I don't know why that is. I'm just less prone to violence. I don't know. I've seen some guys and lesbians duke it out. But I mean, maybe not with <laughs> guns. Maybe not with guns. Yeah. Very interesting. We are talking about a bill that you were mentioning that's uh, getting ready. Uh, uh, the red flag bill. What, what, well, the red flag laws. Yeah. What, um, what is that? It's, it's, we have it here in California. We were one of the first states to pass the law that if you suspect somebody of doing harm to, to themselves or to others with the gun, you can get in touch with law enforcement and ask law enforcement to remove the firearms from the home temporarily. And that could absolutely be the difference between a tragedy and not a tragedy. Yeah, because normally you can't just go in and take people's guns or their property without probable cause. I mean, unless you change this law to say, we're going to seize your guns because we think you're a threat to yourself or to others, and you can have a hearing on whether or not your rights should be restored to you. Correct. 
And it's really only family and household members mm. and law enforcement. And law enforcement can do an emergency order. And before I came to the show, I just, you know, for people here in West Hollywood, they would contact the Beverly Hills Courthouse. You go through your superior court or your civil court, mm. and they'll work with you to do it. There's no charge, and the sheriffs or the marshals will come down, remove the guns temporarily. I, I could, and I could see within a household, if you had a, a partner or a spouse or somebody that was having a real struggle with depression, and exactly. you knew that he or she has a thirty-eight up in the cupboard. And and firearms and suicide, there's a huge connection. Huge, obviously, and, and, and they don't survive, right? Right, right. We were talking about, uh, during the break, that nine out of ten people who attempt suicide and survive go on to live a life, and they don't end up dying by suicide. But if there's a firearm involved, it's lethal. Right. So that's the key. If people can you know, know that they can contact law enforcement to get those guns removed temporarily till the person can get help, and then they can have their gun rights restored once they get the, the help they need, mm-hmm. if that's what is best. You know, the rest of the Western world does not have this problem. Japan doesn't have this problem. Australia doesn't have this problem. Europe doesn't have this problem. It's, Why do we have this problem? It's the access. Mm-hmm. It's the access to the guns. Um, Going back to the the background check law that um, was discussed this week, um, there's such a big loophole that you can uh, somebody with who's a felon or a domestic abuser can get a gun either online or at a gun show without any sort of background check. So it's easily accessible. This makes me crazy. You can just go online and order a gun without any background check. This makes me crazy. So I think one out of five guns is sold without a background check. Yep. And since the Brady Law came into being, I think three million gun sales have been prohibited. And and isn't there statistics out there that uh, only a certain percentage of the country owns most of the guns? Like somebody, there are certain gun owners who own a lot of guns. Not John, just you're one. absolutely you're, right. Not and just I wish, one, but a lot of guns. I, yeah, I don't have that number either. But it's I don't the know. truth. It's, it is. There's a small percentage that own almost over half percent of half. Half of the guns. Half of the guns. I mean, I get why somebody would want a, a 38 or a, a handgun to protect themselves or their family. I understand that. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't because I'd be afraid it would be taken from me and then I would get shot. So that'd be my fear. But why people need AK-47s or machine guns or rapid fire anything that makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. Or even like a high-capacity magazine. Magazine. You know, right. so we just got those banned here in California. And people still complain that they're... I, mean, I don't know why you need to shoot 30 rounds, you know. Well, there's only there's only one reason why you need to shoot 30 rounds. Taking people out. Right. And it's not hunting. Yeah. It's, exactly. it's not taking people. down a deer or a moose. You're it not going to put 30 rounds right. in a deer. There's no deer left right. after that, right? Exactly. Right. You know, and, and I get... I, I understand people who want to hunt. To me, I think it's cruel and inhumane, and I could never imagine shooting anything that's alive. I just, no. I can't. Maybe because I'm a native right. California, I just can't get there. Right. But I have to respect that people in rural areas in Kentucky and Tennessee and other parts of the country, that's their chosen lifestyle. I love to use the word lifestyle back on them. That's their lifestyle, <laughs> you know. And I have no right as American to impose my values on their lifestyle. I get that, but I don't understand why the rapid fire or the AK-47 or these these weapons of war. They're weapons weapons of war. I'm just going to throw this out there. Hunting is on the decline. So what they have to do, the gun manufacturers, is they have to sell something that's a little more sexy. So that's why they are making all these different kinds of guns that are a little more this, a little more that, military style, so they can increase sales. It's all about sales. Is it mostly men? More men than women? I mean, I know there's women gun owners too, but is it mostly men? Yes. And and then another interesting statistic 
is that uh, men represent 86% of firearm suicide victims. Wow. So they go violently. Not overdose of pills, but right. they use that handgun. Right. Wow. wow. Uh, 3% of American adults own a collection of 133 million firearms, says Jason, my d- darling producer. Who You could have just joined us on the air, Jason. You could have just said it. Well, the- I didn't want to interrupt you guys. <laughs> You're just like, I didn't need my glasses to read what you were holding up. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, our founding fathers and mothers, they, they would be looking at this like... <laughs> this is not what they intended. This is a not what well they well-regulated militia. Common comma, being necessary to protect a free state, uh, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed upon. I mean, it was like, in order, it was a different time. It was, it, a it different was muskets, time. muskets with right. one pellet, at least one pellet. And when you, when you hear victims, families, and you hear stories, and you, you, my mind just boggles when I think about that this young person had a right to their life, to live their life, how is it that your Second Amendment right supersedes this person's right to have a life? Right, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know about you two, but when I walk into a movie theater now, oh, I look I for the exits. And oh, I'm like, why do I have to do this? Oh, yeah, because of what happened in Colorado. That's why I have to do this. And like in church. Church, I, I was going to say. No. Sit by the door. In our temple, we have armed... Security? Security. And it's very disconcerting. Well, the borderline, didn't they have armed security at the borderline up in near Ventura County? I don't remember. Uh, I know he shot he, the he security shot, right, guard right. first. I don't know if he was armed. Maybe he wasn't. But, but. I, I felt bad because it wasn't it the CHP officers shot the sheriff. I mean, and these are trained oh, people know, trying yeah. to do their right. best. I mean, I am not faulting him. Doing the best in a situation. So it's, I think the thing is people think these guns are going to be used in self-defense. Instead, they're used... An intimate partner violence right. and suicide. Yeah. Today's a typical day. 60 people will take their lives with a gun. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. We need to take another commercial break. Uh, uh, we're, thank you all for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Um, during the break, we were talking about some of these issues you all are working on. And in California, you know, we have super majorities of Democrats now, super majorities. You think, and now with Gavin Newsom as a governor who's been very strong very on strong. gun control, I would imagine California is going to be taking the lead in a lot more progressive issues. Amy, yep. is that right? What, what one, one of the bills that we're going to be lobbying for this spring is called CalVIP, so Cal Violence Intervention prevention and it's to increase a budget line for organizations that work specifically with violence prevention programs so it's funding putting the money directly in the pockets of those organizations that are on the front line doing that work hmm. and hmm. we're going to be lobbying for that and supporting that effort and and Suzanne you were talking about uh, a correlation between people with multiple DUIs and 
gun violence. What, what's the research on that? Well, it's it's evident. We When we present bills in California, there's a group of uh, gun violence prevention groups, and we always work on bills that are evidence-based, that are well-researched. So in the past, we did the Disarm Hate Act. We found that people that have been convicted of a hate crime will usually go on and use a gun. So the, we've now... Uh, made it a law that if you are convicted of a hate crime, 10-year prohibition. So we're also uh, going to be introducing a bill regarding if you've had two DUIs within three years, that you would be have a five-year prohibition. Mm-hmm. Strong correlation with uh, alcohol abuse, DUIs, and gun violence. Yeah, and I would think suicide because people who are alcoholics Absolutely. or addicts or mm-hmm. there's always an underlying depression theme Absolutely. in there somewhere. Yeah, well, wow, that's really interesting. I, you know, I think about the country. I, I mean, the East Coast or West Coast. I think we have a very different point of view, but in the center of the country, it's a very different culture. I know because I, I, I was in Missouri a couple of years ago, and I thought I dropped into another time. It's very <laughs> and, uh, different. Right. Very different. And is the reality we're just going to have fifty different states with fifty different approaches? Is that what we're we're looking at, or you think people in the South and the the central central part of the country are going to start moving forward on some of this? I don't know. You know, on a state level, we, we do a lot of work on the state level, and we've been pretty successful, even even in certain states that it's a tough battle. Governor Rick Scott in Florida uh, was willing to start taking on exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that was right after. Parkland. Right after Parkland, right. So we found here in California that strong gun laws save lives. You know, we've passed since 1993, like over 50 laws. And our gun violence death rate has gone down by like 57% compared to the rest of the nation. And I know I'm talking about stats, but my brother wasn't a a stat. My brother is missed. It's been 40 years and my brother's missed. Mm. If we could get the CDC funded to study gun violence. I think the rest of the country would say, this is like you know the automobile. This is like tobacco. We, it's not one thing. It's going to be many things. But it's well, a, pub, a bureau. It's a, Alcohol, uh, it, tobacco, firearms. Right. All. And it's big, it is a public health issue. Yeah. And that's one of the things that came up in the hearing this week at HR of HR 8 that they were saying, this is a public health issue. Yeah, yeah. This is not a Second Amendment issue. It's a public health issue. You know, I, I got to give a shout out to our California Senator Diane Feinstein. I, you know, I'm going to profess she and I have been friends for a long time, and she uh, became the mayor of San Francisco when Mayor Moscone and Har- uh, Supervisor Harvey Milk were assassinated by Supervisor Dan White. And obviously, she was in the middle with using her hand to try to stop Harvey's uh, head from and bleeding. She's been right? a champion for gun she, violence. Uh, obviously, it was a traumatic event for her. Right? She witnessed it. She was there in the carnage, and it. I must have sunk into a level where she's like fighting this no matter she's what. She's a survivor. She was a survivor. And that's a good point. To be a survivor, you don't necessarily have to be the one taking the bullet. Correct. You, you right. A family member like mm-hmm. Suzanne here. Correct. And yeah. Wow. Well, I'm hoping more people get involved. You want to tell people how your organizations, how to get involved? That's a good segue. Yeah. Yes. Um, actually, I want to let people know, too, that every year Moms does a action, uh, does a transgender day of remembrance. It's in November. So I wanted to let people know. And if they want to be involved, the easiest thing to do is to text ACT, A-C-T, to 64433. So that's ACT, 64433. You do not need to be a mom to be involved in Moms Demand Action. And many times we say, I think we have a t-shirt that says, man enough to be a mom. I love that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. Websites or contact? Uh, Yeah, we have um, everytown.org. And um, Moms Demand Action is under Everytown. 
we are the boots on the ground troops, volunteers, advocates. Every town was started um, by Shannon Watts, and it's more of the advocacy and lobbying umbrella. Um, and if this campaign that we're in right now, it's called Moments That Survive, and it's about how a moment with a bullet impacts so many people. One bullet, how it impacts you, whether it's a thought, a favorite food, you can't go here, a song, how did that bullet impact you? So the campaign, like I said, is Moments That Survive, hashtag Moments That Survive, and people could go on to everytown.org, and if they have a story they want to share, they can share it there. Mm-hmm. And Suzanne? Um, people can join the BradyCampaign.org, just go to the website. I encourage everybody just to be part of some organization whatever you can do even if that means supporting uh, suicide prevention i also wanted to give a little plug to um, speak for safety and that has to do we talked about the red flag Um, here in california we call it the gun violence restraining order you might know it as the extreme risk protection order and i'm i think there might be one of your listeners out there that might need that and if they can go to the website speakforsafety.org and there's information on how you can get a gun violence restraining order. That's really, really important. So if you're listening and you've got and you're in California and you've got a loved one that appears to be on the verge of suicide or harming others and you know there's a gun in the house, you can have that gun temporarily taken away until we can prove that it's not going to be used. Yeah. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm hoping in the midst of all this that we get some bipartisan efforts. I mean, I'm yes. The NRA mm-hmm. has had such a stranglehold on the GOP, and and I have family members who are Republicans. You know, my mom used to get she used to when they'd ask her, "Were you upset when you learned that John was gay?" And she says, "No, I was upset when his brother came out as a Republican. That really bothered me." <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I know. She's she's awesome. But I mean, I, you know, I I'm, I want to believe that not all Republicans. Uh, you oh, know, are in no. the grip Definitely of the NRA. No. Oh, yeah. please, no. please know that. Yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's there's a small group, and I, I think even the people that are members of the NRA, their leadership is out of step with what they want. This originally started out as a hunting and shooting organization. That's right. That's and, what they. And are. a majority of NRA members want safe gun laws. Well, it even says rifle, mm-hmm. National Rifle Association, mm-hmm. not National AK-47 Association, and headed up now by Ollie North. Is that right? Is Ollie North now the head of the NRA? I know. God. It only works to our advantage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Very, very good point. And I even think the Donald. I can't. I can't call him the president because no. it just doesn't make any sense to me. I even think the Donald might be willing to sign something. So. Hopefully we get there. Let's hope. hope. Well, how about this? We're not going anywhere. We're in this fight. Yeah, yeah, the long term. And everybody can get involved in, in, in on any different level that sort of works for them. Any any of the organizations here in your different markets. Um, there's a way of getting involved. Yeah. You know, I always, I, I point to Orange County, California, because I, I did time in Orange County for 10 years. <laughs> Between the Ooh. age of 20 and 30, <laughs> oh, I lived in Orange County. I thought I was on a different planet. And 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 when I was there, it was John Birch, NRA, oh, you know, B- Bob Dornan, Bill Dannemeyer. And today, because of the last election, they're it's, all they're gone. They're all gone. And all six members of Congress and a lot of that had gun to, control. And a lot of that had to do with volunteers knocking on doors. Yep. 
and getting out there and being involved in, in educating people. Well, Amy Phillips from Moms Demand Action and Suzanne Verge from the Brady LA Campaign Chapter to Prevent Gun Violence. Thank you both for joining. I hope you'll come back. If there's another pressing issue, you want people to get on their feet and do something, please give me a call and we'll have you back. We'd Thank love you that. For that would, us. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Well, gang, what a what an amazing morning it's been. So great having Rania Copeland on from the Black AIDS Institute celebrating Black History Month and all the work that she and her staff are doing around black HIV and AIDS. And uh, the two women who just left, wow, incredible leaders, Amy Phillips from Mom, Moms Demand Action and Suzanne Verge, the Brady L.A. campaign chapter to prevent gun violence. I mean, they, they were rocking it. These two women, they're just so passionate. I love seeing people passionate about about something uh, because you know I think as LGBT people we're very passionate about our issues and this is an opportunity where we can link arms with another group where we share a common agenda and and if you're thinking okay now what does gun control have to do with LGBT people well come on come on now one of our most iconic figures Harvey Milk probably would have been uh, somebody second rate like, well, like me, the mayor of West Hollywood, you know, with, uh, with some public service. But the reason he became iconic, because you got to remember, Harvey was in office for only one year. He was elected official for one year until a bullet took him away from us when he was assassinated um, by Supervisor Dan White, along with uh, Mayor George Moscone. So our movement and our people, we have always been subjected to varying forms of violence from the playground to the bully uh, to violence by police agencies and, of course, violence by our own government and courts on occasion. But uh, gun, gun control is an issue for us, and you don't need any further argument without looking at the Pulse nightclub and having the distinction of being one of the highest mass murders in the history of the United States, being our own people, our young LGBT people in their 20s uh, being slaughtered at the Pulse nightclub. This is our issue. It is something we care about. And these two uh, women who are here informed us that um, the percentage of LGBT people who are gun owners is estimated to be only 19% by the Williams Institute. Only 19%. And why is that? I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about it myself. I, I don't have a gun. I have no desire to have a gun. I can't imagine using a gun on anybody. And maybe it's just part of our being and, and how we've been created. But uh, it doesn't mean that we will necessarily escape being victims of gun violence. And so we should join the chorus of people coming together to advocate for reasonable gun control. And California has done a great job of doing that. Most populous state in the union with 34 million of us sitting out here. It's a start. But we know there's activity happening all over the country. And hopefully we can all, as a people, break the stranglehold that the NRA has around our political systems. Because it's ridiculous that we suffer so many gun deaths daily around the USA. Uh, well, in places like Japan, which have an equal amount of people, or Australia, or Western Europe, they all look at us and think, you know, we don't really have gun violence in our countries. You have the majority of the gun violence from around the world, and the reason we have it is because the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution, which was originally written so that rural farmers 
in small towns could have a musket to protect themselves from British troops that at any time could come back and attempt to take uh, the colonies back for England. That's the reason it's in there, the right to bear arms. Uh, A well-regulated state militia is how the Second Amendment begins. And I would argue that it was never meant to allow any of us to equip ourselves with multi-round magazines, AK-47s, and machine guns that have no practical purpose really, other than slaughtering large numbers of people, which we don't need in any of our cities. So you can count on me as the uh, years go by in the future here to be an advocate uh, for prevention of gun violence and to advocate for reasonable gun control because I think it would make all of our cities so much safer and better. Next week is Valentine's Day and... uh, Jason and I are sitting here debating what we're going to do next week because it's one of those freaky days, at least I think it's freaky, where you there's this like compulsion to feel like you need to do something about it. If you're in a relationship, you, you got to have dinner or send flowers. or Do people send boxes of candy anymore? I don't. But I mean, it almost it's, you're in a relationship, that means you have a certain status. If you're not in a relationship, what does that mean? Maybe you're happily not in a relationship. Maybe you're bitter on love and uh, don't want another relationship. Thank you very much. A whole lot of opinions about Valentine's Day. And so uh, I'll be looking for those opinion shapers and makers in the upcoming days to bring you some great guests next week. Well, Channel Q, we are continuing to expand. Hello and a big shout out to those of you in Seattle. Welcome to the Channel Q family, Boston, Hartford. Glad to have you all on board. And we know coming soon, we're going to possibly be joined by New York City, Miami, Philadelphia, D.C., Dallas, and Portland. So the Channel Q family continues to expand, linking LGBT people and our friends and allies to one another all across the USA. And just so happy to be part of this from the beginning. It's been an honor and a pleasure to to do it. So we'll stay tuned. I'm watching the acting attorney general being grilled by the Democrats. It's kind of fun to watch all these women just grilling him, <laughs> grilling him, grilling him. Uh, about uh, what he did or didn't tell the President of the United States regarding the special counsel and the special counsel's funding. And uh, I think we are going to continue to see in the upcoming weeks and months the uh, results that elections do have consequences and the consequences that will occur for the Trump family, the Trump administration, and uh, finally a check and balance to our nation because we were definitely heading in the wrong direction when Donald Trump was left unchained and unfettered. And we now have checks and balances and a lot of very prominent women involved in keeping Donald Trump in check, which I think is poetic. Don't you? I think it's poetic that it's happening that way. So everybody uh, have a great weekend and uh, we will have a happy Valentine's Day because Valentine's Day will be the day before sidebar. I hope if you celebrate it, you have a great time with the one or ones you love. There you go. Maybe I'll have a thruple next week. We'll see what we'll have here. And we'll talk to you uh, next week, the day after Valentine's, a little bit about love and romance and relationship here on Sidebar with John Duran on the new Channel Q.